Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems around the world adopt technology, with me, Tiasha Zaitz. The pandemic has significantly increased the need for mental health care and destigmatized discussing well-being and mental health issues in everyday conversations. Unfortunately, the number of quality providers of mental health services is still much lower than the demand, and the number of people that are seeking help is rising. At HLTH, or Health Conference, which took place in November in Las Vegas, I spoke with representatives of three mental health-focused companies based in the U.S., Timely ND is the ninth fastest growing health service company in the US, according to Inc., and focuses on mental health of students. Irish Telehealth is a leading provider of telepsychiatry services for health systems and community health centers across the US. And Headspace Health is the largest digital mental health provider in the world, and it's reaching 100 million people in 190 countries across the world. In this episode, we'll dive into a discussion with Katie DiPerna-Cook, SVP of Partnerships at Headspace Health. The company offers a broad range of services. It was established after a 2021 merger between Headspace, the world-class meditation and mindfulness company, and Ginger, the on-demand mental health service provider in the U.S. In 2022, Headspace Health also acquired the Shine app, mental health and well-being platform dedicated to providing an inclusive mental health experience for the black, indigenous and other people of color. Katie talked about the state of mental health in 2022, how is Headspace Health evolving and how to build resilience to cope with the broad uncertainty of the current political, economic and environmental stress. Enjoy the discussion and also tune in to the next one with Timely Andy and Iris Telehealth, where we discussed the evolution of mental health services, telemedicine after the pandemic, and the potential of digital therapeutics entering the mental health space. One more thing before we begin. Subscribe to our monthly newsletter. It only comes out every few weeks, but that content is that much better. It's a great way to get updated on the best episodes, recaps and topics, so you can decide which one you perhaps want to dig into further and listen to the full discussion. Now let's go to today's topic. I really want to start with just a very easy question about the general state of where mental health is according to your assessment at the moment. We know that things got a lot worse during the pandemic, but to a certain degree, the pandemic is now over. However, some of the numbers that were mentioned at health on the first day on Sunday were that if 11% of adult population in the US reported about mental health issues before the pandemic, that number rose significantly in 2022. What's your insight? How do you see the challenges and also the focus that we are now increasingly focusing on mental health? The pandemic deeply accelerated 
the mental health needs, the number of people who were seeking mental health care, and truly destigmatized the need to have mental health care a part of our everyday conversation. It was incredibly traumatic what we went through as a world and continue to go through in a lot of places. While the pandemic is stabilizing, look at the world around us, right? The potential for a recession, economic challenges, prices rising. People are continuing to experience day-to-day stress in how they take care of their lives and their families. You look around the world, there's war and global economic pressure that fits all of us. And then you just look at what's happening day to day across the country. Gun violence. There was a shooting again last night. I'm a mom sending our kids off to school. There was a shooting not too far from me. And so there are every day challenges that I think that we've come to a realization that mental health care is something that is going to be a part of our lives and needs to be, we need to find ways to get people access to easy, affordable, in the moment support to build resilience, but then also make sure that we're able to help navigate when a crisis comes and they need a higher level of care. Mm-hmm. And that's really what we're looking to do. It's interesting, uh, the way that you described just the global uncertainty that we're currently facing. And I think the thing that stood out for me was when you said that your kids go to school and there was a shooting not so far from you. So I'm thinking a mental health app is not really going to help with that. So to which extent do you think that we can actually just curve with all the problems with uh, just addressing the mental health? So we don't overemphasize that it's us that need to be calm when everything's falling apart. To me, it's about building resilience. It's about helping people think about taking care of themselves and their own mental health. And listen, sometimes I feel like when I say things like that, it sounds self-serving or I don't have time for myself. But I think what we've shown is... We need to make taking care of mental health. Mental health is health. It's a huge part of keeping an individual healthy, keeping a family healthy, keeping a community healthy. And we need to find ways to make that available every day in the moment. Going to a therapy session is honestly out of reach for millions of people, whether that's for affordability reasons, for schedule reasons, for just don't have time. But picking up your phone and talking to a coach or participating in a meditation that's consumable, easy to access, understandable, feels like a part of your day-to-day life is really changing the way people think about mental health care. Historically, we think about mental health care, we think about going to therapy or medication management. But what we're trying to say is that mental, we can bring mental health care into everybody's day-to-day lives so that people are building resilience and skills so that when the crisis does happen, they have built some resilience but also know how to access care in a way that's affordable and accessible. Do you perhaps have any data about the potential decrease of the use of medications because of mental health apps? The U.S. has a huge opioid crisis on top of having a culture where there's a pill for everything. So if there is a pill, you're just going to take it. So do you, by any chance, have any information about that? Yeah, I think it's an area that needs to be studied significantly. I don't know if you saw this, but there was a study that came out last week from GW that looked at a cohort of patients who were taking Lexapro and then a cohort of patients who are participating in meditation. And they had comparable results. And so it's really, it's, in a, it's a groundbreaking 
fundamentally different way of looking at mental health. And listen, there are really important reasons why people may need to take medication. And I don't want to say that meditation is going to cure everything, right? But I think what it is, when you look at a population of people, there's a large population that can be treated without higher levels of care, without medication, if they know and have the right tools in the moment to take care of themselves. And I think you're going to see a lot more studies coming out comparing medication, meditation and coaching to how it's getting people better. Yeah, I see that as one of the bigger potentials of digital therapeutics and of the meditation approaches. And because, what did I want to say? Yeah, because just so we can decrease the use of medications. But I guess... One uh, important aspect here is the ease of use. It's so easy to just take a pill compared to knowing that you need to do a meditation every day for 15 minutes or half an hour, dedicate that time, which is great, but it, it requires a lot of effort and dedication. So one of the things that I'm wondering is what kind of patterns of use are you seeing with your users and how? what's the retention rate of the users? How do you see that people drop off, quit, and restart maybe later on? I actually would push back there and say that meditation doesn't have to be sitting down for 45 or 50 minutes and doing a meditation or creating that significant amount of space. I actually myself is, have experienced it and what we see in our members is a is quite the opposite. When you log into Headspace, it's two to three minute meditations or content that you can consume. What we have essentially, we have what's called the wake up when you first wake up. And it's really about forming habits that are easily integrated into your day and easily it's not about finding 45 minutes or an hour to sit down and do a meditation it's a, exactly quite the opposite it's when you're sitting outside your kid's school waiting to pick them up and you have three minutes you can find that moment of quiet and peace it's when you're laying in bed at night and you can't fall asleep We have sleep casts and sleep meditations to help with that. It's when you're exercising. It's designed to fit into your day, not the other way around. And then when you think about the coaching modality of what's well, not just mindfulness and meditation, but as Headspace and Ginger merge, we really have a full spectrum of services all in one destination. And the, the coaching modality too, again, it's you can log onto your phone in two minutes or less when you're laying in bed in the middle of the night, be co talking with a coach. What's your insight in the differences related to mental health needs of different populations? One of the thoughts that was that stood out for me yesterday was when the CEO of Teen said that when we talk about ethical AI, it's really difficult to talk about the populations that are underrepresented, and we don't really have any data about those populations. So how can you even, you can't really do anything when you don't have data. You now do have that in that sense. Is there anything that you can share about what you've learned so far? I'm going to talk about really specific my, my own experience. As I mentioned, I come from the more traditional healthcare side. Prior to coming here, I spent a lot of time working in Medicaid, similar to Centene. I actually worked as a partner with a Centene plan. And I think that we have a really unique opportunity with the acquisition of Shine, as well as with the leadership we have in place, and frankly, the, the product that we have 
to reach out to Medicaid underserved populations and make mental health care more accessible. We do have a partnership with AmeriHealth in Washington, D.C., where all AmeriHealth members in D.C. have access to Ginger. It's been live for about a year. We're getting great results as far as the members that we're getting in, we're treating them. But what's been really hard, and I think what we've learned, is the stigma and the trust barrier is harder. And so it's taken us time to build engagement and to get people to really recognize that Ginger is a tool and a resource they can trust and that it meets their needs. But we've been doing a lot and have a lot of plans in the coming year to really look at how we can partner with church organizations, faith-based groups, community organizations, and have real champions of, of the work that we're doing to help get it out into the community. We can't expect that just sending out an email is going to engage this population. We really need to be in the community, but we have a commitment to do that. And I think that given the acquisition of Shine, as we have a, a real commitment through our DEI and B platforms as a part of our strategic business plan, that I'm more confident than ever that our move towards Medicaid is going to both provide a really valuable access to care that hasn't been there, but then also allow us to collect that data and study and figure out what what else do we need to do and do other digital health companies need to do to reach this population? When you said that you need to establish the trust to decrease the stigma around mental health, what do you see that people are worried about? Is it the fact that if an invitation comes through their community or through their employer, that data is going to be shared with the employer and it's going to work against them? So what are the worries that you see there and basically the obstacles that you need to overcome? Yeah, I think there's a long-standing history of many people, but particularly in marginalized or underserved communities, not feeling comfortable talking about mental health care and accessing mental health care. And that's somehow, sure, it's privacy, right? It's, I don't know this, I don't know Ginger, I don't know this provider I'm talking to, they're on my phone, why are they reaching out? There's no context there, and so with a lack of in-community trust and awareness, it's really hard to break that trust barrier. I mean, that's something we're really focused on earning. But it is, it's concerns around privacy, but I think we take every protection in the world to make sure that members' data is safe and secure. We are a provider. I think that's a really important distinction that makes us different than other other digital mental health care apps out there. We are a licensed medical provider in 50 states. So we are here to the same HIPAA requirements and standards as your therapist down the street. And so I think that makes us really unique in the market. There's no other virtual mental health care that is a provider the way our many other organizations are sort of aggregators of networks of therapy services and provider services. We actually are a provider. And I think that just allows us and, and forces us to have just an even higher standard for earning trust and protecting data. The mental health market, because of everything that's been happening with the world, has been developing significantly. Also on the applications and mobile apps side, did that impact you in any way in terms of getting new ideas about how to approach people and just seeing what your competition does? How do you see, generally speaking, the market of mental apps? It's confusing. <laughs> right? There's, if you're a member, if you're a patient, if you're an employer or health plan buyer, there's so many incredible companies out there doing good work. Really, I think that the momentum towards getting people into care and the accessibility provided in the virtual format is an incredible thing for advancing the mental health care field. 
And it's really the reason why we brought Headspace and Ginger together because we're the only platform out there that provides a full spectrum of care. So no matter where you are, do you need, instead of having to try to aggregate a bunch of point solutions that treat parts of the mental health care journey, whether you just need self-directed care, resilience building, mindfulness meditation, all the way through that coaching modality, that in-the-moment support, all the way through therapy and psychiatry, it's all available on one platform. And I think what's really important is when you are seeking mental health care, you don't know what you need, right? You think you need a therapist, but is it really a therapist or do you just need somebody to talk to, right? Or do you just need to really build resilience? And even if you do need a therapist, how do you find one and do they have availability? Our platform takes away all of those challenges. It's one front door. You come in and we're able to navigate you to the right level of care um, at the right cost. And again, all from your smartphone while you're sitting in line waiting to pick your kid up from school. So if I'm not mistaken, and correct me if I'm wrong, Headspace actually is present in over 190 countries. So you're accessible to over 100 million people. That's right. And tell me more about that. So what are the differences that you see in geographies, in the way that people use the app, or what are they looking for? Do you see any differences? Because cultures differ, (laughs) needs differ, what people see as acceptable differs, and that can have different impacts. Maybe people will reach out to the applications more, maybe not. I don't know. What does the data say in your case? Yeah, it's a great question. I think that No matter where you are, the mental health need is great. And that's why we've seen so much expansion around the world. And in so many, we're in five languages now on the Headspace side. And I I think that we've seen a heavy presence, of course, in English-speaking countries to begin with. But we've made a real push over the past few years. And actually, we'll continue through some partnerships headed into next year to really expand the awareness of the Headspace offering more globally so that more people are aware. It's given the sort of small bites, easily accessible nature of Headspace, we, once people are in, we tend to see a fairly, fairly similar, similar patterns. But I think we are looking to next year really through partnerships help to reach out to more communities around the world and make them aware of what's available. Where do you see that mental health applications and just mental health generally is going in the future years? If you would think about what's what do you expect from 2023, what would that expectation be? I think that more and more you're going to see the need for members to have support across a longitudinal journey in their mental health care. A mental health is not getting your knee replaced, right? Where it's, you have a surgery, you go to PT, there's a very clear clinical pathway. Mental health isn't like that. You can go from doing well to really struggling, to stabilizing, to struggling, to needing support. And I think as we see through all of the expansion of mental health, virtual mental health services, a platform that can provide a longitudinal journey across the full spectrum of care is going to really be powerful. And I think one of the things I would mention just from an outcomes perspective, we have a partnership with Blue Shield of California to serve about 2 million Blue Shield members in California. And we have both Headspace and Ginger available. We're with our partner, um, 
organization called Solar. They're help, they've helped us help navigate these members. They come in, they take a few simple answer a few simple questions, and then they're able to access either Headspace or Ginger, depending on where they are, mild, moderate, acute. We've seen incredible results in this platform. It's getting people to the right care at the right cost and getting people fast access. And we have a case study here, but we're seeing of the members that are in Headspace, we're seeing a 20% monthly engagement rate, which is really quite high for a health plan. We're seeing a ton of engagement over 14 million hours of Headspace content has been consumed since since the launch. But then on the Ginger side, it's an outcomes-based model and members were tracking PHQ and GAD scores. And we've seen that members coming in 80% are seeing improvement in their depression symptoms. 76% of members coming in are seeing improvement in their anxiety symptoms. And and we're getting reimbursed based on getting members better and getting them engaged. And so I think that's the future. It's a platform that reaches members across their journey. It's getting more people access to care, but at a different, but using the multidisciplinary levels of care. And it's a reimbursement structure for outcomes so that we're really focused on getting people better, faster, at the right cost. Maybe just one thing that I didn't ask earlier. So you were describing nicely the whole patient journey, but how do you measure the current state of a specific individual and how is that improving? Because, I don't know, sometimes self-assessments are not designed in the best possible. (laughs) You've got the options are too limited and then you just have to choose something, which means that you're basically entering inaccurate data. So I don't know, uh, how are you uh, managing the whole uh, just measurement and knowing how, what are the patient outcomes and how they're changing? Sure. You can't take a blood test to say what your mental health is, right? It is personal and self-reported. That being said, we are adhering to clinical standards in the way that we measure outcomes, whether that be the subclinical population, so individuals who really need almost more like mental wellness services. We look at PSS, adaptability, and resilience scores, all peer-reviewed, studied measures to be able to assess that population. But then when we get into the clinical population, we use standardized PHQ and GAD, which are evidence-based clinical metrics for how you measure depression and anxiety symptoms. And we see a 50% improvement in symptoms is clinically valid. And so that's typically how we're, how, when we think about measurement-based care, we're using these evidence-based standardized metrics. But what I think is really interesting is the ability to do it in an app and the ability to make it easy and simple for a member to answer these questions. It's not like when you're in the doctor's office and your kids are screaming and you're trying to like fill out that iPad. And I know I just had a baby and they make you do the PHQ and GAD at their visits. And I'm just like, what I'm just putting in, whatever. It's not like that. It's in your time. It can be when you're laying in bed. It can be when you are rocking your baby to sleep, right? Like you're you're not in the doctor's office. You have two minutes before the nurse comes in and you have to fill out this questionnaire. When it's that accessible to a member, you get more realistic and real results. And so, again, I think it's the accessibility combined with evidence-based. We are able to measure how we're getting people better. You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health, a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. 
Stay tuned, subscribe to the podcast to get new episodes automatically and also check out our newsletter at fodh.substack.com that's fodh.substack.com and see what we covered in the last month. Stay tuned.